Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Youth Takeover Sunday. My name is Madison Metcalf. I'm the youth and outreach pastor here at Cross Point, and I have been serving our youth full time since 2020. Uh, my husband's name is Tyler. We have a beautiful daughter named Hazel who's going to turn two in December. And some of you came in this morning, you had no idea that you were going to see Oliver Veith just crush that rap with that first song. Can we give it up for Oliver? That was awesome. Uh, you maybe you didn't know that it was Youth Takeover Sunday. Um, I'm just grateful that Oliver didn't come out in a banana costume like he did for our Christmas party last December, because on Wednesday night, that was a possibility. So welcome to Youth Ministry. Um, it's an honor to serve some of your kids and just this next generation. Um, the times that they're living in are not easy. There have never been more voices um, spoken over them in this time. The world has never been louder. And, you know, for Adam and Eve, they, they were tempted and they had to go pick the apple off the tree. But I believe the visual for this generation is all they have to do is walk by the tree and the apple's just falling right on their head. Uh, but yet we still have students that are just uh, continuing to walk right past it, that are walking in his truth, leaning into his ways. And um, I'm just, it's a privilege and an honor. And I'm so grateful to be serving our students over the last three and almost three and a half years years. And what's really cool is when I came in in 2020, our little um, sixth grade, they were our sixth grade babies. They're now freshmen in high school. And that's been really awesome to watch them grow. I'm very grateful for our students and for our leaders. And if you don't know much about our youth ministry, we have over 30 leaders who show up every single week to pour into sixth through 12th graders. Over 30 leaders that show up every week. Small groups are the heartbeat of our youth ministry, and uh, every student is put into a small group uh, with their own age, so sixth grade boys, sixth grade girls, seventh grade boys, seventh grade girls, so on and so forth. Every small group has two leaders, and these leaders are, are top-notch, and so I'm just super, super appreciative. Can we give it up for our leaders who show up every week again? Thank you. I just really appreciate them. Um, they are the heartbeat, and so I just am so grateful for them. We have not shown this on a Sunday morning, but I wanted to show it to you this morning. You may have seen it on Facebook or maybe you've run downstairs. Uh, but one need that we saw was our high schoolers uh, were, you know, our youth space is like the old gym downstairs. You should go check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, but middle schoolers like to chuck footballs at your heads and the high schoolers don't like that. And so we thought we'd make our, their own space for the high schoolers where it can be more laid back and chill. And so we took our old uh, storage slash swag slash dungeon rooms that were across from the check-in downstairs and Dave and his crew totally brought the vision to life and check out what it looks like now. It is absolutely incredible. Can we give it up for Dave and his crew? So that was Dave Shutnik, uh, Darren Westendorf, Randy Morris, Brian Huber, Brett Dix. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Dave came up to me at the very end of the project, and he said, I didn't see it until it was done. <laughs> I just, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty dungeon-like, but um, I'm super grateful that our high schoolers have their own little space to hang out before and after service, and we have a couple more small group rooms, so it's pretty awesome. Uh, the title of today's sermon is Years of My Youth. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, Years of my youth. And some of you may be thinking, I don't have youth. I'm already past the youth age. I'm not at the youth age with my kids yet. 
don't worry. This all applies to you. One of the things that I've learned working alongside teens while also raising a toddler is that toddlers and teenagers are very alike. <laughs> and, and really all of us are like toddlers. And so um, if you've been a toddler or a teenager, this message applies to you. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the youth that we have. Thank you for the students that you've brought to us. Thank you for the leaders that we have. Thank you for the people that make up this church. God, I just pray that your presence would fill this place and that you just do what only you can do. Guide my words. Um, just, just guide this whole service. We just hand it over to you um, and we trust you and love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Did you know that 90% of the time that you spend with your kids is over by the time they turn 18? 90% of your time with your kids is gone by the time they turn 18. That's crazy. We had a missionary guest speaker come uh, this past Wednesday, and he shared this statistic from Barna Research. They did a survey, and they found that 94% of people made a decision to follow God by the age of 18. 94% of people made that decision by the age of 18. That means only 6% of Christians made their decision to follow God over the age of 18. So the years of their youth really matters. And you being involved in the years of their youth, it really, really matters. And so this morning, I just, this whole message is gonna be five unhelpful things to do in the years of their youth, five unhelpful things. And this is just stuff that I've learned some of it the hard way, and it's definitely not anything that I have down pat at all. But being in youth ministry sometimes makes you feel like you're back in middle school and back in high school. And I'm grateful for that because then I can get into their world just a little bit and just see through their lens. And so we're gonna, we're gonna dive into these five unhelpful things this morning. So let's get started with number one. Number one, the first unhelpful thing is to control them. If you want to know how to tick off a toddler or a teenager or really anybody, try to control them. Toddlers and teenagers, especially in the stages of life that they're in, they are craving and desiring independence. And it's a really, really healthy thing, actually, but they want it so bad and they do not like it when you control them. And what I've learned is that you'll become a lot less anxious when you stop trying to control them because God can do a whole lot more with our surrender than our control. And if we just look at the nature of who God is, like just look at who God is, how he created us. None of us are robots, right? We're not robots. We, he, he doesn't control our decisions. He doesn't control our outcomes. He gives us, his kids, the ability to make decisions. He gives us boundaries. He gives us guidelines. He gives us consequences. But he does not become anxious over controlling us. And so one of the things I've realized is that, wow, teenagers and toddlers are stressful. <laughs> and so I've started saying this prayer every single day. I say, God, help me to control the things that I can control and let go of the things that I can't. And that has been really, really powerful for me. Help me to control the things I can control, but let go of the things that I can't. In Philippians 4, uh, verses 2 through 5, it says, Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And a lot of the times when we're trying to control, it's because we're looking to our own interests. We're not concerned about the interests of other people at all. And, and I'm going to quiz my youth students so y'all better be ready because a couple weeks ago I, I asked this question and I told you the answers. Um, I, I asked our youth students, I said, um, Jesus was asked 183 questions. How many did he actually answer? Who remembers? Anna, oh yeah, look at that. You guys go, three. 
he was asked 183 questions and he answered flat out three. Does anyone remember how many, it's cheating if you came to first service, does anyone remember how many questions Jesus asked other people? Anybody remember? What's that? What was it, Ava? 307, look at you go, girl. That was amazing. Give it up for Ava. That was like three weeks ago. 307 were the number of questions that Jesus asked. Jesus was interested in other people. He didn't do all the talking. He didn't do all the controlling. He was interested in other people. And so we know that if you're a mom in this room, that your desire is probably for that little baby to just get on, uh, well, first of all, change their diaper, get on the jammies and go to bed. Amen? Okay, that is so valid. And I, and I feel that on a, on a personal level. But, but these toddlers, the, these teenagers, they also have desires too. So what would it look like if we just took a minute or two and tried to relate to them just a little bit, if we took an interest in them? Um, so an example for me personally is my daughter Hazel. Like I said, she's gonna be two this December. And there was a night where she just did not wanna go to bed at all did not want to go in her crib, did not want to get her jammies on, nothing. And so instead of trying to control her, force her to go into her crib, and having her see me as the enemy along with bedtime, right? Like she's on one side and me and uh, bedtime are on the other side. That's not what I did. I wanted to get on the same team as her and let bedtime be the enemy. And that is a very helpful tip in a marriage as well. Because a lot of the time we want to put the problem to a person and that's when we become enemies. But if we get on the same team and we let the problem be out there, it goes a whole lot better. And so with Hazel, I said, honey, I said, I don't want you to go to bed either. <laughs> I do not want you to go to bed. I wish that we could stay up all night and watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I really, really do. But this is the best thing for you. And so how about we go in your room and you can pick out a book and then we'll go to bed. And she got right up and she went to her room. I'm not saying that works every time. I'm just saying it did work that time. Um, sometimes Hazel doesn't want to listen. And so I've started to get curious with her. And um, I, a couple times this has worked as well. I'll say, hey, Hazel May, are your ears working today? Are they working? Can you hear my voice? Are you listening to me? Can you do what I'm saying? And, sh and there, have, there have been many times where she'll get up and do it. Or I'll say, um, I'll, I'll ask her, I'll say, okay, whenever you're ready, you let me know. Whenever you're ready. And I'll get up and do something. And as soon as I bring her along and I take an interest in her and I let her be a part of it, it's like her attitude changes. But the reality is that I have to actually take interest in her. I have to actually um, get curious with her. I'm not sarcastic. I'm not mean. I'm trying to understand. And that is what they want in the years of their youth. They want you to seek them out. Um, and I get that that's not going to work with a teen. Like, hey, mom, can I go to Billy's house? Tommy, did you use your ears? Like, that is not going to work. I get that. For teenagers, don't do that. They'll be very mad and they will go to Billy's house. Um, but... You can take an interest in them. You can try to understand them. Get to their heart, ask the why, and be on the same team. All right, number two is make it about you. Make it about you. This is gonna sound really harsh. I'm sorry. But every generation thinks that they had it worse than the next generation. Youth do not necessarily care if you had to hike 10 miles uphill in the snow to get to school. I'm just, I'm just being honest. And when we make it about ourselves, when we make things all about ourselves, I think two things normally result. Either we get insecure or we get frustrated. We're either frustrated at what we had to do or what we didn't get to do, or we're insecure that we didn't do enough or that we did something wrong. 
So when a child messes up or when a child makes some mistakes, that is not the time to say, well, I raised you better than that. And I can't believe you did that. After all, I've done for you. You disappointed me. Because when we think about ourselves and we make it about ourselves, it only leads to that insecurity or that frustration. So instead of making it about you, make it about them. Seek to understand. And if it still doesn't make sense, because sometimes with teens, I love you guys, but sometimes it doesn't make sense, then try to extend grace and set boundaries. Because the reality is that you can be the absolute best parent on the planet, but your kids are still going to stumble and fall. Look at the father that Adam and Eve had. Hello, big man upstairs. That's who they had, a perfect father. And yet it was one wrong relationship. It was one dialogue with the devil and they were deceived and impacted for a lifetime. And sometimes your kids are gonna dialogue with the devil. Sometimes they're gonna get into relationships they have no business being in. Sometimes they're gonna get in with the wrong crowd. But when that happens, our kids do not need us to freak out. They don't need us to focus on all the things that we did wrong or they don't need us spinning our wheels trying to think why this happened, what we could have done differently. Our kids don't need us leading them from a place of insecurity. They need us leading from a place of confidence and love. So when we look at the big guy, what he did as a father to his kids in that garden, he didn't sit there and make it about himself thinking, man, I shouldn't have put that tree there. Man, that apple just, oh, if I would have moved it. He didn't think woulda, coulda, shoulda. That's not what he did. Instead, he sought out his kids. He went looking for them in the garden. He didn't turn a blind eye. And he also gave them an opportunity to own up to what they had done. And then he gave them natural consequences for their actions. And then after that, he clothed them. He provided for a new need they had because of a wound that they had inflicted on themselves. So your, your kids won't learn best from a screaming match. I promise you, they won't learn, learn best from ignorance, pretending like nothing happened. They won't learn best from a disappointed glare, slap on the wrist. They'll learn best when you seek them out, even when it seems like they don't want it. And when you speak truth into their life, when you tell them about consequences, because you need boundaries and you need consequences, and then you, you do your best to clothe and love them with their new needs. So don't lead from a place of insecurity or paranoia in the years of their youth because disrespect, stepping back, making it about ourselves, that is so natural. But leaning in, loving, making it about them is supernatural. So learn from, lead from love, confidence, assurance that you are the best parent for your child and you're doing a great job no matter how many times they stumble and fall. And students, things will go a lot better for you if you also take this advice. It's not just adults that are called to think about other people and to take an interest in other people. Um, take an interest in what your parent is saying and hear them out. Don't just think about yourself all the time. And then number three, put pressure on them. Put pressure on them. They will never get the years of their youth back. They will never get their childhood back. And so putting pressure on them to achieve and to strive and to succeed in sports and school and extracurriculars, extracurriculars, it's just not helpful. It just really isn't. They're supposed to enjoy that. They're supposed to have fun during the years of their youth. And when Jesus walked this earth, he didn't go after prominence. He didn't go after position or popularity or performance. And this society that we're in is training our youth to strive for something that Jesus didn't even care about. And to be honest working with these teens from what I have seen, the kids who look the most put together, who look the most successful, they are often the ones who are the most hurt, lost, and confused because their worth is tied to their performance and they feel the most pressure. A good performance does not mean or does not equate to a good heart or a God-given purpose. 
In fact, you can be a really, really, really good performer and you can not do it with the right heart or for the purpose of God at all. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, I'm sure so many of you have heard this. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We say that and we're like, oh yeah, God doesn't care about how you look and whatever, whatever. He just cares about your heart, but we don't live that at all. We don't, we don't act like that at all. We actually look a lot at the outward appearance. We actually look at the results a lot and the outcomes a lot. So instead of rewarding all these outcomes and achievements and results, let's award good hearts. They don't have to be the best. They don't have to be the brightest. I will take a good heart over a trophy any day with my kids. And I understand, though, I understand that sometimes it is the kids putting pressure on themselves, but that makes it all the more important to reward a good heart, not just a place on the podium. So that means that we have to be okay with our kids failing. And I think that is so, I mean, it's just, you, you get a mean look, you get looked down on it, it you know, you, you want your kids to succeed, but it's actually really important that they fail during the years of their youth. I actually know a mom, and I'm not suggesting this, but her kid was putting so much pressure on herself with school and everything, she made her child get an F on an assignment and hand it in to show her that the world will go on and that she does not have to be perfect. So we gotta be willing to let our kids fail and let them be kids and students should you guys do your best? Absolutely. But I am convinced Jesus does not care about the outcomes. He does not care about the results. He cares about your heart through all of that, okay? So focus on yourself and don't, or so, focus on your heart and don't put so much pressure on yourself. And then number four, be a hypocrite. It's very unhelpful. <laughs> be a hypocrite. To be honest, I think one of the most frustrating things for our youth is dealing with the effects of hypocrites. It could be on their team. It could be at school. A hypocrite is someone whose actions don't follow their words. We should not ask our kids to do anything that we are not willing to do ourselves. We can't get mad at our kids for doing what we do or for not doing what we don't do. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 21, it says, um, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. If you want to know what will aggravate a child, don't practice what you preach. And when I stepped into youth ministry, I was told this thing, and it has stuck with me from the very beginning. It says, they said, what you do in moderation, they will do in access. What you do in moderation, they will do in excess. So they're going to take it a whole nother level with what they're seeing you do. So I'm just going to say it very, very, very bluntly. If you don't want them to swear, then don't swear. If we, if we don't want them to fight, then we shouldn't fight. If we don't want them to get drunk, then we shouldn't get drunk. If we don't want them to gossip, then we shouldn't gossip. Jesus, he did not like hypocrites at all. Jesus corrected hypocrites. And, and if we are a hypocrite and our kids correct us, we have to have the humility to have ears to hear. And so I would just encourage us to ask this morning, what are some areas of my life where I'm not practicing what I preach? All right, number five. I will come up here every single time I get the mic and I will say this because I have seen the effects of it and I have seen how important this is in the years of their youth and even now for you. Number five, the fifth unhelpful thing is call them out. And just a couple weeks ago, um, I told the youth students, I said, my prayer is that you would never be called out by me or one of our leaders. I, my prayer is that you will only be called up. Not called out, called up. Kids don't need you to call them names. 
They don't need you to label them. They don't need you to say mean, say hurtful things that put them in a box. They need you to call them up. And so there's a difference between saying you're a liar just like your father or you neg like your mother and instead saying, I believe better for you and I know that that's not who you are. There's a difference. And so the words that we speak, they hold power and there's a reason for that. God created it to be that way. But he intended for our words to be life-giving. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So he created those words to hold power. But Ephesians 4, 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, it may benefit those who listen. It should benefit them. And here's what I believe. I believe that every kid has the potential to thrive, but not every kid has the opportunity to do so. I can have a kid in the youth ministry who I'm talking to him and it's like talking to a, a wall. It's like, is there anybody home? Like, what is, you know, what is going on? And then I see them run off with their friends and it's like they come to life and they're funny and they're fun because they were given this opportunity to be in an environment where they were thriving. And how we give them the opportunity to thrive is to see that potential that they have and call them up to it. And I also believe that every perceived weakness that you see in your child, that you see in your kid, that we see in a teen, that we see in youth, I think every perceived weakness can be also seen as a shadow of a strength. I wish we would start looking at things like that. And I also believe that there's always a reason why a kid is the way that they are. And so what I did was I asked some of our students to just say some lies that they have been told by the world in the years of their youth. These are things that they wrote. These are things that I've heard. And so I just wanted to share some of them with you this morning. Um, I was told to do what feels good. These are the years of my youth. I was told to have one more drink. I'm better that way. These are the years of my youth. I was told I'm too fat and need to lose weight. These are the years of my youth. I was told to keep scrolling, keep liking, keep posting. These are the years of my youth. I was told I'm not good enough. These are the years of my youth. I was told I need to do what he says in order to be loved. These are the years of my youth. I was told to practice for hours every day so I can get a scholarship. These are the years of my youth. I was told to get perfect grades. These are the years of my youth. I was told to be the parent to my siblings. These are the years of my youth. I was told that I can live my own truth. These are the years of my youth. These are the years of their youth, so don't write them off. Help them write their story. You know, every Wednesday I go with Kaylee. She gave the ministry moment. She welcomed everybody. Every Wednesday we go to WSR High School and we greet all the students as they walk in in the morning. And I see their hurts. I don't see a rebellious teenager anymore. I see a stressed out kid who had a tuck in their brother or sister last night. I don't see an awkward kid anymore. I just see a kid who never had a father figure to show him how to live. 
I don't see a kid with a major attitude anymore. I see a kid so insecure that they have to belittle others to make themselves feel good just for a minute. You see, we're so quick to jump to conclusions about people. We're so quick to get uncomfortable and then turn the other direction. We're so quick to speak a negative word instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt. We doubt that they have any benefit. These are the years of their youth and sometimes they're mislabeled, misunderstood, sometimes mistreated. Does that sound like people that Jesus went after? And we're called to be like Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask us to do something uncomfortable this morning. You came last service, it's back to back, uncomfortable weekends, but if you could all stand for me. And if you could just make your way to a youth around you, it could be your own kid, it could be to a teenager, it could be to a college student, total stranger. We got a whole bunch of youth right up here. Get out of your seat, get uncomfortable, go seek them out. Lay your hand on a youth. And this is why we're doing it is because this could be the one moment in time. We got some youth down front here if you wanna lay hands on them. This could be the one moment in time where someone came alongside them, put their hand on them and said, I see you, I'm willing to stand with you, I'm willing to pray for you, I may not even know you, but for this time this morning, I'm gonna stand right by you. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we sit back, we, we stay where we are because we don't know how to fix it, we don't know how to change it, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say. These kids, these youth, these college students, these teens, they don't, they don't, they don't need you to fix anything. They just need people willing to say, I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna see you through this. And so what I wanna do this morning as you're laying hands on these youth, on these students, um, I, I just want you to pray for them and I'm gonna pray for them as well. Um, God, thank you so much for these teens. Thank you so much for these students. Thank you for the people who are willing to stand alongside them and say, hey, I see you. I stand with you. I am for you. I'm praying with you. Uh, God, I just pray that our eyes would be open to the years of their youth, uh, that we would see the effects of it, God, that we would we would understand the weight to it, but also the excitement of it, Lord. God, I pray that we would steward our words well. I pray that we would steward our time well. God, I pray that not a moment is wasted. I pray that um, if there's thoughts in our head, these preconceived notions of people and uh, these ideas of who they are and these labels that we put on them, God, I pray that you would just mold, shape our hearts, soften them in a new way, in a different way where we see how you see. Where those that are misunderstood, maybe with those that are hurting, those that are lost, that we would see them how you see them. Give us new eyes to see, give us a new vision, give us a new heart for those that are lost. So God, we just pray for these youth students this morning that they feel a sense of newness of their, in their spirit, that they feel your touch, that they feel the touch of someone, another brother or sister in Christ that's willing to say, I stand with you, I see you, and I love you. And so God, would you just let your presence be felt in this place and as we walk out these doors from, from young to old. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well, you can make your way back to your seat. I see some hugs happening. I like that. You guys did better than first service. They groaned when I told them to get out of their seats. Um, but if you guys could stay standing in your spot, in your spot, in your seat when you get back, there's one more thing I want to do before we uh, have a couple worship songs. Um, if you all could just uh, bow your head, close your eyes for me. I just want to tell you quick about what Jesus has done for me. Uh, I have a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He has shown me how to live. I am better with him than I am without him. His Holy Spirit 
lives within me and he helps me. And so here at this church, every single Sunday, we wanna provide an opportunity for you to just say, hey, I'm also making this decision. I also am choosing the savior. I also want this Holy Spirit to dwell within me. I also wanna follow after this guy named Jesus who went after those who were lost and hurting and confused. I don't want to live as the world lives. I wanna live a different life. And so this morning, if you wanna make that decision with all eyes closed and um, heads bowed, if you wanna make that decision for the first time, or maybe you've walked away and you wanna turn back to God, um, I would just ask that you would just raise your hand. No one's gonna do anything, say anything. You can just lift up your hand. If that's you, see those hands going up. You can put those hands down. I wanna pray with all of you. Just repeat after me or say your own prayer, whatever you wanna do. Just say, hey God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I believe that. I wanna walk in that. Help me to live how you live. Help me to speak how you speak. Open my eyes, soften my heart, and guide me in your ways. I love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.